From the studios of One Jacks Productions, this is The Revealing, a ministry of One Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida, with your hosts, Senior Pastor Frank Silvaggio, Associate Pastor Robert Engel, and Praise Leader Chris Wing. All right, welcome back, everybody, once again to another episode of The Revealing. Robert Engel here, along with my good friends Chris Wing and Frank Silvaggio. We are Joining you from Jacksonville, Florida, uh, definitely enjoying the uh, the weather that's warming up here and um, getting into spring and uh, eventually summer, and uh, really grateful just for the the weather the Lord has blessed us with. Uh, if we have any listeners who are not enjoying such weather, uh, <laughs> sorry about that. But uh, <laughs> come on down to Florida. Yeah, there you go. It's your fault. No, uh, <laughs> but we uh, we're definitely enjoying uh, our time here and uh, enjoying. The series that we're in, as a matter of fact, uh, we are continuing our discussion, our study, our exploration on this, uh, this um, I guess, study, that this entity um, called Manuscript Evidence, uh, to put the maybe technical title on it, or the official title, if you will. Uh, simply, <clears throat> we are looking at um, w- from where different... Um, where we get modern versions today and Bible, different Bible versions, and and where those um, came from, like what is the source of them? Do they all come from the same source? Are are they all um, as we have them in our hands today, or on the shelves in Christian bookstores? Are are they all the same? Uh, do they all derive from the same place? Um, if they do, uh, what does that imply? If not, what are the implications there? Um, and not only that, but if they don't derive from the same places, um, what are those places? And does God have anything to say about that? And and does that change or at least affect what is said in those versions? So all those different questions we're trying to look at here, and we, we started this series uh, from a very um, practical or maybe uh, spiritual, maybe biblical approach. Um, I think a few weeks ago, that first episode there was really just... Well, what does God say about His Word? Um, let, let's just get an agreement with Him uh, uh, over His book, what He says about it, and, and let's let's do that. And, and and what we found is that He has promised to um, not only uh, inspire His Word, uh, but to preserve His Word for us um, forever. Um, we know from Psalm 119 that His Word is uh, settled in heaven forever. Uh, we know that it is um, every word of God that is pure. Um, we know that it, it is the words that He speaks, that He gives us, that will judge in the last day. <clears throat> it is every jot and every tittle. And so all of these things we looked at from a strictly uh, biblical perspective and found the um, the, hot, the premium that God puts on His Word. Uh, he exalts it above His very name, Psalm 138 and verse 2 tells us. And so if, if He puts a premium on His Word, then we ought to put that same premium on it. Uh, and then we, we, we took, um, maybe not a detour, but just kind of went from there, and in the following episode, I believe it was, we, which may have been our last one, I guess now, we uh, looked a little bit more into some of the technical uh, terms and um, phrases and just different parts of this to, to help us understand it from a, a, an academic standpoint. I guess not because we're trying to be lofty, scholarly um, people or anything, but because these are actual terms and they mean things and they have implications. As we always talk about, the things that we talk about here at um, the Revealing have 
implications. And, and some of those terms uh, or, or ideas, I guess, the, those the, the aspects of manuscript evidence that we talked about last week is the fact that <clears throat> there are these uh, these manuscripts uh, that uh, from which the, the the Bible that we have today, and really the, the many Bibles, I guess I could use that phrase that we have today, uh, from which they derive, uh, and those manuscripts are simply called by a term known as codex. Uh, those are just the manuscripts, and and of the manuscripts we have available, uh, we discussed last week that uh, that word for that is uh, extant. So if you hear uh, Frank, Chris, myself, or even in your own study. If you hear uh, or see that word extant, it's just though that which we have available access to, um, and, and the, the the approximate total of extant or available manuscripts that we have is somewhere in the neighborhood of around 5,800 uh, in total. Um, of those 5,800 extant manuscripts, uh, we have approximately. 5,300 of them, which comprise the majority text. Uh, that's why it's called the majority text, because it is the majority of them. Uh, that is known as the, the Byzantine text, if you recall that from our last episode. Uh, the, uh, the the text that derives from Antioch, uh, uh, the Antiochian text, um, if I'm even pronouncing that right. But uh, there's that line, or that text, and then we talked about two others that comprise the remainder of those manuscripts, those 58, approximately 5,800 total, uh, if it's not the majority, then it would be the minority text. And, and, and that minority text is not uh, the line through Antioch, uh, but the line through Alexandria, Egypt. And, and those uh, that, that minority text, those manuscripts are uh, comprised of primarily two um, uh, names, I guess, two types of texts. Uh, Vaticanus and Sinaiticus is what we discussed uh, in, in some detail uh, last week. Um, so you have those two lines, the minority text and the majority text. And uh, that minority text, as I just mentioned a moment ago, is, is Alexandrian. It is uh, from and through Alexandria, Egypt, and also Rome, by the way. Um, Vatican, Vaticanus, of course. And uh, we've mentioned this around here if you know anything about what the Bible says regarding Egypt, specifically Alexandria, Egypt, uh, that fact alone uh, should just show us what God thinks about anything that comes from Alexandria, Egypt. Um, and conversely, if you know what he says about Antioch, then that should show you what he thinks, which is a positive thing, uh, what he thinks and what we should think about what comes from Antioch. And um, it's just very interesting to me, guys, that the two uh, major places from which we derive the, the these texts are two places that God spends a lot of time on in His Word talking about uh, how He feels about them. And so I find that very interesting and important for us, because uh, this is His Word. Uh, this is the mind of Christ, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 2. Um, this is, uh, again, what He exalts above His own name. So we want to get this right, and we hope you do too. And if you're listening through these conversations, uh, then we have to believe you want to get it right too. Um, you're not going to get it right because we have it right. Uh, we're going to get it right because we get on the same page that God is. And so with that, uh, we're going to transition in, into this discussion and, and really um, just continue more because it really <laughs> it bears continuing uh, continue more of the discussion as far as some of these terms and, and what maybe you 
maybe you've heard of them, maybe you have no idea what they are, uh, heard of them but don't know what they mean, maybe you've at one point did but forgotten, or wherever you are on that, if you want to maybe be well-versed in this issue or, or in manuscript evidence and and really, you know, Bible versions and, and, and the implications thereof, then we want to encourage you, maybe try to wrap your head around some of these. You know, um, I know it's easy to get lost in some of this, so we try to make it as practical as possible, but sometimes you just have to kind of kind of plow through and, and go through that the grueling process of trying to just learn some of this stuff. And, and so hopefully you can utilize that uh, luxury you have of replaying these episodes or rewinding it back or whatever if need be. Uh, but anyways, guys, let, let's get into this discussion here. Um, so Codex, the manuscripts, uh, Extant, what's available to us, the, the minority text, the uh, majority text, we talked about all that stuff here. Uh, what else do we feel like our listeners uh, need to know as they navigate this issue of, of Bible versions? Yeah, so, you know, again, the only reason why we're going through these is because... Um, I mean, we could obviously go way deeper than we're going to. Definitely. And really dig into this if we wanted to. But I think it's important. I think we think it's important. that it, You know, let's discuss some of these terms just so people can kind of understand, uh, you know, where this stuff comes from uh, and, and some of the more important terms, if we could say it that way, uh, to help us understand uh, why, why this should be talked about mm-hmm. not not that it should just be well you know hey that was 2000 years ago let's just we're all good just go let me go to the store and pick whatever bible i want well hold on a minute there's some there's some technical stuff in here that should be considered when looking at god's word mm-hmm. i mean if we come to god's word and we don't uh believe in any way shape or form uh that satan is not going to try to corrupt it then we're really not paying attention mm. of course he's going to try to corrupt it the very verse w- uh, words penned in the Bible is Satan corrupting God's word. <laughs> so of course he's going to do it. Uh, so that's why this stuff's important. That's why we're kind of going through some of these things. It may sound a little technical, whatever, uh, but hopefully we're going to make it uh, reasonably simple to explain why, uh, why, why, you know, why we're coming to the conclusions we're coming to when we when we finally finish this and go, okay, this is why the KJV. Right, absolutely. And, and though we do contend for the faith and contend for the Word of God, we also do this to uh, help people learn as well, because there are so many who just don't, I think we mentioned this last time, who don't know, mm-hmm. either know these things or why they need to know these things or that is an even even an issue at all. Excuse me. So, um that's that. That's something that Satan has really done uh, over the last two thousand years: is make what is a big deal seem not like a big deal. Sure. And yeah. a lot of it's just ignorance. I think it's just not well, knowing. Well, and, and, the other, and the other thing he does, and we got, and this is why we need to be a little careful in what we're doing here, mm-hmm. is he'll take what doesn't seem like a big deal, and he'll make it so technical that you can't understand it, mm-hmm. and then you'll just, and that's kind of what's happened with a lot of this stuff that we're talking about. It's gotten so technical and so deep that we've lost the meaning of of the simplicity of it all. Yeah, very deceptive. And it's really, I mean, if I could just kind of add a little tag on to all of that, you know, kind of put it in a nutshell, is the reason this is so important is not because we're trying to show off, like like we've said, how smart we are about all this stuff, but God only wrote one book, okay? 
And when you go to a bookstore and you see a shelf full of quote-unquote Bibles, and a lot of them say something different, you know, it, it, it's that confusion that Satan has always, you know, done when attacking the Word of God is, is, is you know, people just like, well, which one, which one, which one? And, and that's why this is so important. You know, we talk about things like manuscript evidence, and God has promised, as we said, that he would preserve his Word, neither he did or he didn't. You know, you have to come out on that where you decide in your faith, but if he did, then he, he preserved one, because that's all he ever wrote or had written. And so it matters, that's why this matters for us to understand and, and not get bogged down, you know, as you said, Pastor Frank, and all the technicalities of it, but just understanding, yeah, you know, this is how God shows us through history how he actually, the process in which he, he underwent in preserving his word. And let's, let's not sugarcoat it, there are millions of people who, whose lives were martyred for this very thing and trying to protect it and actually protecting it and making sure that it was could be preserved. And so that's why it's important for us to understand this. God wrote one book, and he gave us the ability to look throughout history, you know, the whole, the whole book is, is, is a book of history, his story, and see how it is that he did it in history and preserving his word so that we could know which one is and which ones are not. And so it's very vitally important, and that's why we—part of the reason, I think, in a nutshell, why we come out where we do on the King James Bible, um, it's because of where it came from, the manuscripts that it was uh, translated from, and so on and so forth. So this stuff really is that important, because it all has to do with how God— the process in which God used to preserve his word. So, yeah, let's not get bogged down on all the technical stuff, but yes, we do need to understand it. Mm. Yeah. So some of the— a couple terms that that I think are we, we, we're, we're, where we can kind of head now is, and uh, just kind of understand um, why why we're going here. Uh, you might not completely understand it while we're talking about it, but in the end, you'll understand if I can. So just kind of hang with us here. Okay. So there's there's probably three terms that I think is important to understand uh, when we're looking at manuscripts. Again, like we said last time, the, you know, the big argument today is not the translation. Right. That, that's not the argument. The translation really, or, or the argument really should be, is what manuscript was used <laughs> right. to derive the translation. Yeah. That's really what we should be taking, paying attention to. And as we stated, there are three major uh, manuscripts that are used for most of our uh, English translations today. And so what I want to talk about is you know, how these manuscripts were written and what they were written on. Okay. okay, because that's important because it does tell a story. Okay, and I think it's important to understand that. All right. So there's going to be three terms we're going to drop here. Drop here. It's, it's called uh, papyrus, okay. parchment, and palimpsest. Papyrus, parchment, parchment and palimpsest. And palimpsest. Okay? And then maybe even finish with Koine Greek. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's let's talk about these terms for a second. Okay. So what is papyrus? Anybody? It, it's a plant-based material that they used to make their writing materials or paper, if you will. And, and here's a fun little fact. Do you know where you find papyrus? I think it's Egypt. It is Egypt. Okay. Exclusively? Yeah, pretty much. Along really? the Nile, yes. they found the papyrus yes. plant, and they would use that, yes. the fibers of ah, it. To fun make tidbit. It. <laughs> fun little tidbit. Okay, so, so um, what happens is um, a lot of manuscripts that we have, and, 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 and again— uh, none of them are in full. Uh, uh, none of these are uh, full, okay. But th- what uh, the textual critic is going to say is that these are some of our oldest manuscripts. Mm-hmm. 
Um, right. And uh, it was found on this papyrus, which is a like as as Chris said, a, a plant based material. Um, there was, if I remember correctly, I think there was. We have about 130 of them in our possession today. Okay. Um, then you have what's called parchment uh, or vellum, mm-hmm. uh, and and vellum is animal skin. It's animal skin. Mm. Okay. And so vellum became the flavor of the day. Uh, as you moved into the fourth and fifth century. Okay. Okay. And so uh, Vaticanus and Sinaiticus was, were written on vellum. Okay. Okay. So, so you might be sitting there going, okay, well, why would you tell us that and why do I care? Okay. Let me tell you why you need to know and understand this. So it's like, um, and I think we talked a little bit about this in our last episode, but let's really dig into a little bit more here. It's like if you took a piece of paper today, okay, and you wrote uh, a sentence in, a, in pencil on it, and then you you erased it, erased a word. Okay, well, our paper is tough enough today that you probably aren't going to notice that there was an erased word on it. However, if you continue to do it, what's going to happen? It's going to bleed through the paper. Okay. Yeah. Well, okay, so on <clears throat> uh, vellum, you would notice the very first time you did that. Okay. And as you continue to do it, it would get you would be very noticeably getting worse and worse and worse. Mm. Now, the reason why that's important to understand is because in the Vaticanus and the Sinaiticus documents, uh, there are literally thousands of palimpsests mm-hmm. where uh, somebody erased whatever was there and inserted whatever they wanted. Mm. And so not, n- none of us know what was there, what was changed, if any, you know, we just don't know. Right. So all we can do is go off of what we can see now. Uh, on top of the fact, uh, uh, throughout Vaticanus and Sinaiticus, uh-huh. there is uh, literally thousands of footnotes that uh, have been made by uh, uh, outside sources. Uh, you know, in other words, not God. If we're going to say that God had his hand on those, which he didn't, mm. uh, but if we're going to say that, okay, but then why do we have people erasing stuff, and why do we have people putting their own footnotes into, uh, this, these are human beings, <laughs> humans, putting their own footnotes into God's Word. And, and these are in the minority text? Absolutely. And you said, just a quick question, you said, so the papyrus, mm-hmm. which was found in Egypt, about 130 today. And then you said that the parchment material, the vellum, animal skin, uh, that is where the Vaticanus and Sinaiticus are written on. Are they also written on papyrus? No. Or, the, the, okay. So the papyrus has, they are uh, more, they're earlier. Okay. Um, that's, I, what, that's what they used earlier. I was trying to kind of make the connection there of why it's important that that's from Egypt. And I was uh, thinking well, because, maybe, because it's the same text type. Okay. It's not it's not Vaticanus, but it's still the minority text. I see. Most of that papyrus stuff is minority text. I'm with and so you. this is where the textual critic is going. Textual critic is going to run to because mm-hmm. what they're going to say is, oldest is best. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. Correct. Um, however, uh-huh. however, there's proven corruption in the oldest. Mm. Like it doesn't take a genius to go. Well, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why yeah. were people erasing stuff? Yeah. And you know, so when you have stuff like that. Uh, listen, if you're not if your antenna is not going to go up, then you're just not paying attention, or you're just not being honest to what's going on here. Um, you know, it's it's 
you know, so let's say let's say I had five thousand dollars and I was going to give it to you, and then Chris decided to come along and erase the check and wrote it down for a thousand. Mm. Well, <laughs> did you get everything you were supposed to get? Sure, no. You know, no. Somebody came and changed it and changed the amount. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of what happened here. Maybe even worse than that. I was going to give you five thousand dollars. Somebody came and changed it to one thousand pence. Mm. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? Not really. Your analogies are awesome. But this is what could have happened. We just don't know. Right. You know, um, we're, we're leaving it to chance now. Huh. Yeah. And, and, and it, like you said, I mean, these uh, quote unquote corrections, palimpsests, these, you know, scratched out right over things. That's what that is. It, it abound in these manuscripts of Vaticanus and Sinaiticus. I mean, even really Sinaiticus, thousands. there's a note in the Sinaiticus that says taken and corrected according to the hexapla of origin. And when you start to dig into these Alexandrian texts in the school at Alexandria and you start to research guys like origin, you'll know how, uh, you know, heretical and corrupt these guys were and in what they taught and what they believed so i mean it's pretty so the point is it's pretty glaringly obvious that these particular manuscripts though they may be complete and in good shape and all that kind of stuff are are just filled with these palimpsests and corrections and footnotes and all these kinds of things that 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 people have come in and and quote-unquote corrected so it's obvious you know it should be obvious and so what i would say is they are filled with errors oh absolutely Mm. and if they are filled with errors does that sound like god's word Mm, sure no definitely not I mean, I think we need to take a serious stop and pay attention to that. Mm-hmm. It's it's that, that that's an important piece of uh, uh, of information, you know. So now talking about this oldest and best, I, I think uh, while we're on that subject, um, you know, we probably need to talk a little bit about probably two very important manuscripts that uh, we haven't mentioned. Uh, in in this uh, discussion, okay, and that is the Latin Vulgate and the Peshitta. Okay, yeah. Um, there is some uh, 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 mm-hmm. the, the, they are recognized by honest scholars as being the oldest because they are. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, you know, they both will date back to second century. Okay, which is. Way before, you know, most of the papyrus is third century, mm. and then most of uh, the vellum that we get uh, uh, the Vaticanus and Sinaiticus, you're going to get fourth and fifth century. Oh, okay. Okay. So, being honest to the, the when we say the yeah. oldest is the best, well, okay, if we're going to say the oldest is the best, if that's where we're going to go, which by the way, I think that's fair. I'm okay with that. I do understand why somebody might say the oldest is the best. I mean, because that's going to be the closest to the original. Closer, sure. Sure. Okay. But I see why we're. But if we're going to if we're going to play that game, then let's play it right. Let's be fair and give the actual facts of the matter. The actual facts of the matter is the Peshitta and the uh, the old 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 Latin Vulgate are the oldest. Okay. So why aren't we looking at those? Now, if you take Peshitta and old Latin Vulgate, guess where they're going to agree with? The minority text? No. Oh, do they not? Peshitta and old Latin Vulgate are, are absolutely 100% oh. majority text. Oh, wow. Uh, all the way. Peshitta is like 98%. Hmm. It's very, if I remember correctly, I'm, oh. I'm, I'm remembering that. I could be a little off on that, but yeah. So, so I would ask, like you did, well, why aren't we looking at those well, if we're going to use the logic that older is better? Well, because it doesn't fit the doesn't the fit mold, the, the agenda. Well, yeah, doesn't fit the narrative. Also, the important thing about the Peshitta is that it's it's Syrian. It's from Syria. Okay, it's it's the Antioch uh, line, if you will, and it is very old. And so, it, and even. Oh believed to have been traced almost as far back as the apostles themselves. So that's an important text. So can I can I ask this? The Latin Vulgate and the Peshitta, are these 
And the whole, I, let me repeat that. Okay. It's not the Latin Vulgate. That's Jerome's Latin right. Vulgate, which That's is the, around the fifth century. It's the old Latin. Ah. Let me, I, I needed to correct myself. I thought about that for a second. I okay. apologize. Okay. It's the old Latin, uh, okay. which is different. The, the Latin Vulgate derived from the old Latin. Ah. But when uh, Jerome got a hold of it, he did start to insert his own. Corruption. So, so we, could we say the old Latin and the Peshitta that those are part of the yes. majority text? Yes. Not the Jerome Latin Vulgate. Not not well, not that one, but no. the old Latin and Peshitta. Yes. yes. We could say those are yes. majority. That's the part of the fifty three hundred extant. Yes. And they happen to be older than the Vaticanus Anaticus minority text. Yes. Is that what we're saying? Yes. Ah. That that old that old Latin. Mm-hmm. Okay. It was uh, uh, many believe it was used by the Christians in Rome. Okay. The, you know, so Paul wrote to the Romans, of course. right? And it was the very uh, text that was uh, passed down to the Waldenesians and the Albigenes. Interesting. Anabaptist so, groups. Yeah. Yeah. So those, those, if you so, know church history, right. sure. Uh, so obviously that 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 uh, that uh, manuscript went underground. Yes. And when we say it went underground, you have to understand why it had to go underground. Ground, because the Roman Catholic Church, when it rose to power, if you weren't using their uh, manuscript, which is where we get Vaticanus and Sinaiticus from. If you weren't using theirs, uh, like Chris said, what would happen is uh, they would call you out for uh, heretics, and they would burn your Bibles and, and torture and kill you. Mm. So you know, most people do not know this. Yeah, for sure. Most people are very unaware. Uh, you know, when, of course. When, and and by the way, when 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 Chris said millions, mm. uh, let's just be careful. Uh, because that could sound like a couple million. The estimates are somewhere around 45 million. Huge amount, yeah. Uh, uh, people were literally killed mm. uh, for what we're talking about right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. So they thought it Why? was Another important. reason is so important. They thought it was important mm. enough. Yet here we are, and we don't think it's important. Mm-hmm. Yep. Eh, we could just walk into a bookstore and buy anything we want. Well, do we you can... understand the people that were right. tortured and murdered? Yep. <laughs> and we can take it or leave it, yeah. yeah you know, mm. uh, we need to be a little bit careful about that. Um so okay, so that's the that's the. Does anybody want to add anything to those uh, the the Peshitta, uh That you know that's probably one of the more important ones, mm-hmm. really, truthfully. Um, and and the reason why I say that is is because uh, again, it most closely represents mm-hmm. the uh, traditional uh, text, that, you know, the, yeah. that we have the received text. And again, uh, this is dating back to uh, you know some time after. Polycarp, right in that time frame. Ah. I mean, Polycarp was a a, 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 disciple. a disciple of John the Apostle. John, yep. Correct. So uh, now, are we saying that the Peshitta is an original manuscript? Mm. Oh, of course not. No, no, no it no, wasn't. No, no, no. it was a copy. Uh-huh. But if we're going to say the oldest, we need to be honest. And the oldest manuscript that we have um, extant, without a doubt, unequivocally, absolutely, is the Peshitta. Mm-hmm. Wow. It, it just is. Interesting. Now, what happens is, okay, mm-hmm. the reason why I think a lot of the textual critics, critics don't like to go there, okay, okay. obviously, number one, it, it doesn't fit with their agenda, mm-hmm. but there's something more to it than that. Let's be honest about it. Okay. Well, it's because the Peshitta, in that very early point, yeah, outside of that old Latin, stands alone. Now the next couple hundred years, that's where the major or the minority text starts to get a lot of stuff that we have. So are you saying the reason is because it's so far removed 
it's not even considered, maybe? No, 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 no. We just don't have a lot of those early ones. Oh, so the, we just have a lot. Of the minority, of the minority, the minority, Com- not know, compared to the majority, but compared to the the old Latin and the well, Peshitta. Yeah, a lot of the majority starts to come into play around the sixth, seventh, eighth century. Okay. Okay. And and there's a reason why that is. Okay. See, that's what people don't. Yeah. You know, it's not like. You know, it made a comeback. Well, no. <laughs> right. The reason why that was is because the Roman Catholic Church was literally burning them all. Uh, yeah, my gosh. They were destroying them all. Mm. Like, yeah, you ain't going to have them. Somebody mm. was out there trying to destroy them. Mm. So why would we have them? And so that's why it's dangerous to go back and go, well, the oldest is the best. Well, that, whoa, time out. Time out. That's not fair because somebody was trying to destroy them all. The fact that God preserved an old one for us so that we would still have it is the miracle. Amen. Uh, if you will, mm-hmm. um, it, it just kind of proves his his. And I like the fact that we do only have one or two. Like that's just God. That's what he would do. Yeah, he's gonna get you that one or two. The remnant. Yeah, so I mean, he ain't gonna give you a thousand of them. He's gonna get you that one or two. And it's gonna and, be faithfully preserved and you know stay you know, in the test of time. I guess. Yeah. You know, and it's just it's just you know that's so, cool. Yeah, I do think that's uh, important information. Yeah, no doubt. Um, all right, uh, Koine Greek. What's Koine Greek, Chris? Uh, the, it's old Greek. That's what the uh, New Testament was written in. Right, and so the reason, obviously, that's important is because you know we need to understand that the Masoretic text was written in, in that's the Old Testament was written yep. in Hebrew, yep. and then in the in the New Testament it was written in the the language of the time. Uh, most of that language uh, came from Alexander Alexander the Great's empire. Uh, and what is termed Koine Greek. It was the language of the time. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I want to make uh, mention of that is because what God has faithfully done is he has always transmitted and preserved his word through the language of the time. Mm. Very important to know. It's very, very important, very important to, know. to know. And what would be the language of the time today? Yeah, it is English. Right? And, and so right around the 1400s, uh, English started to take a foothold in, in the culture, of uh, in the many cultures, uh, through uh, John Wyclef, he started to, to recognize that, uh, you know, probably God moving him, I would guess. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, he starts to uh, translate the Bible into the English language. Uh. Now, we can say that that was by accident, but I would say that that was God's providence of knowing, okay, this is going to be the language of the time now, and now we need to move it on to the... To the uh, to the, to the language of the time, and then by sixteen. And what's interesting is, um, you know, from from Wyclef's Bible to the uh, uh, authorized version, there were seven seven uh, copies, or what do you want to call it? translations? Okay, and I think that's interesting because the, you know, again, Psalm twelve six and seven says <laughs> seven times. <laughs> Purify seven, seven times. Seven times. Well, the, the work that Wycliffe started yeah. sparked sure. the, the well, that's what I'm saying, seven that came, the, seven the six that came. that came, and then the seventh being the King James. No, yeah. actually, the King James was the eighth. Well, if because Wycliffe was using, he wasn't just using the Antiochian, he was using the uh, Alexandrian text as well. So he had he started the work that guys like Tyndale and then Coverdale and, sure, and so sure. took okay. up afterwards. So you have to yeah, be, that's fair. again, if you're going to look at the manuscript evidence of it, like not everything that he was doing was from the correct line of manuscripts. It wasn't until Tyndale started that where they were actually using the Antiochian uh, line or Byzantine line. Alone, right. And yeah, right. So then from Tyndale to the King James would sure. be, that would make it the seventh. Sure. So again, all this stuff matters. Like if you yeah. just stop and think about it and like give it 
honest thought. Mm. You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna, you know, this is why saying things like, well, we believe in the Bible and it's original. Mm. Well, but even God <laughs> knew. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the case. And how come, how come God moved from Hebrew to Greek? Mm. Right? Sure. Like, why did he do that? Fair why question. would he just keep it all in Hebrew? Why right. did he go to Greek? Well, because he knew the language of the time. So why would we be so uh, remiss to not believe he didn't do the same thing? Yeah. Like, why wouldn't he? It just makes sense. I mean, most of the known uh, world today, uh, you know, speak can speak English, or English is the language of the day. Mm-hmm. So it would just make sense that we would have a perfectly preserved uh, uh Bible in English, yeah. it just makes sense. Mm-hmm. And and does that mean we have to have the the, the original? No, no, because we never had it anyways. Right? Yeah, <laughs> we talked about that so, last time. So, that God doesn't put stock or faith in, in original anything. So, so I think um, another important thing that we need to talk about that was going on uh, during all of this. Okay. Okay. And and we really do need to spend a little time on this. Cool. Is this very important uh, term called Gnosticism. Yeah. Um, it's a very, very important um, thing that was going on, uh, and it, it, it played a role uh, in a lot of early Christian theology, mm. okay, no doubt, uh, but it also played a role uh, because of that in the manuscripts that were developed in that early time. So that's why I think we do need to pay attention to this Gnosticism, because you got guys like... Uh, origin, mm-hmm. who we've already made mention to, uh, and 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 many of those guys from that school of Alexandria, uh, they they were Gnostics. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so we need to we need to kind of talk about what Gnosticism is. And by the way, we we already made mention to this before, where where you're looking at those two lines and how God so so gives you like these hints, if you will, in the Bible to hey, you might want to pay attention to the Antiochian line, and you might want to. Watch out for that Alexandrian line. Mm. You know, God kind of gives us hints on that, and he kind of gives us uh, obvious uh, uh, direction to the fact that his word is that important. Well, uh, the Bible also gives us direction and, and, and things about being careful about Gnosticism. Uh, many, uh, you know, Paul and John, uh, they were writing against Gnosticism. Okay. So, so yeah. God, God's were. giving us stuff yeah. in his Bible to say, no, Gnostics, Gnostics are not something you should be mm-hmm. uh, uh, following after. Listen, Origen wasn't, if you, if you don't understand Origen, that he wasn't like a blown out Gnostic, like <laughs> you don't know what Gnosticism is. He mm-hmm. was. Mm-hmm. He just was. Well, he got it from somewhere too. <laughs> okay. And that passed down to Eusebius. Yeah. Okay, do you don't think that's important? I mean, he's the one that he loved Origen. Yeah, absolutely loved him. Eusebius is the one that is trans. You know, he's the one that got Sinaiticus and Vaticanus going. Yeah. And then that that goes even further. If we wanted to, it's not. Now we're getting out of the realm of of manuscript evidence, but but just know that that all passed down to a guy by the name of uh, um, oh man, uh, Augustine. Oh, oh, definitely. You know, and that's where the Roman Catholic Church got has gotten mm. all their doctrines from. Yeah. Listen, this is all Gnostic stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so this, you know, and if you don't know what that is and you don't understand what that is, well, you know, let's let's just start here. What does the word Gnostic mean? Well, it comes from the word gnosis, which means uh, knowledge. Hidden knowledge. Hidden secret knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. So so here we go. <laughs> I just said, now if you don't know what that is, well, <laughs> it's hidden knowledge to you. 
And who do you think would want to make sure you don't know what that is? Mm-hmm. Of course. So we need to talk about Gnosticism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who wants to jump on that? Um, I mean, I can get us kicked off maybe a little bit here. Um, like you just said, Gnosticism refers to a doctrine of salvation through a secret knowledge of divine things. That comes from that Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. Um, it, it's a, a broad term encompassing a wide variety of heresies, you know, as you talked about, held by both non-Christian and those who profess Christ. Um, Gnosticism was developed by non-Christians who borrowed from the Greek philosophies, Judaism, and Oriental mysticism. Elements of Gnosticism were then borrowed by professing Christians who then intermingled that thought process into the writings, uh, you know, Christian writings. And that's why when you look at the Alexandrian line of things, you get basically this hodgepodge of Greek philosophy and philosophers and uh, mysticism, and then you take Christianity and you just chuck it in the mix, and then you start to get all of that intermingled together in a big melting pot. And so what comes out of it is this heretical writings that, though it claims to be Christian, is intermingled with all of these other pagan, uh, you know, uh, forms of uh, religions and, and whatnot, and then it, it just twists and turns everything into something different. And guys like, you know, Origen, he mentioned, were big on Gnosticism when, you know, he got it from... Uh, other people like uh, Philo, and uh, he, you know, Philo taught a type of Gnosticism that paved the way for Arianism, um, you know, and that's something else. Which is the doctrines of the JWs today. Yeah, and so you need to know all these things being, uh, you know, intertwined together and where they all come from. So, you know, it, it, it basically is just, it's intermingling these these different uh, Greek philosophies and, and mystic, mystic stuff into it, and, and, and it just perverts the Christianity. And, and that's really what that school in Alexandria was all about. Right, absolutely. Oh, you, no doubt. You mentioned Philo, mm-hmm. um, Origen, these guys mm-hmm. um, who inter, intermingled uh, the Greek philosophy of Socrates, mm-hmm. of Plato, yep. of Aristotle, etc. Right. Uh, in this, somehow became to be called a Christian school um, in Alexandria, Egypt, would, would mingle those thoughts with the Word of God, with theology, um, and was propagated out of this school, and it, it's just a clear-cut example of how just the smallest, and, and we've talked about this in, in our study of church history you know, here at One Baptist that we're doing, how, how su- small and subtle deviations that at the time may not seem like a big deal really are, mm. uh, and I think it, it it's evidence for when you look at different versions today of the Word of God, well, that's just a small deviation, or that's a very subtle difference, but, you know, it, it means the same thing. We get the message, but, you know, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. That's, it, words mean things. Absolutely. And different words are not the same, logically <laughs> speaking. You know, you don't need to have a degree in Bible to know right. that, you know, things different are not the same. And so I think that just goes to show that... Nothing in this in this discussion is insignificant. I mean, Jesus said every jot and tittle, yeah. every dotting of the I and every crossing of the T, every punctuation, it all means something. So it doesn't say when God says, don't add to my word or subtract from it. He didn't say mm. a little bit. <laughs> it's don't. <laughs> so you know, everything does matter. Yeah. So so there's a lot we could talk about Gnosticism. This just isn't the scope of, no, uh, no, of no, our no. study today. But But let me just say this. Okay, just to give you some examples, yeah. Uh, just so that people can can get can you know start to grasp uh, why this this is important. You know, a lot of Christian Gnosticism, the the issue is is that it's going to refer to some kind of doctrine of salvation, 
that that unfortunately is going to be through some kind of secret knowledge. Mm-hmm. That's it. Okay, so there. The, okay, so is that important? What do y'all yeah, think? I absolutely. Mean, I okay. What do you mean? Secret knowledge? Wait, what? So somebody else has. How do some I get that? No- Why don't yeah. I have it? You know. Yeah, right. So. Um, uh, so obviously there's there's dangers in there. Obviously that's what led to the Roman Catholic Church being the one true church and salvation comes through them alone. Mm-hmm. You can't get saved by them. They'll have to tell you how to do it because mm-hmm. secret knowledge, nobody else knows it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you see what happens? Absolutely. Okay, it becomes dangerous. Uh, you know, things like, uh, you know, the, the, the Christ spirit came upon Jesus at his baptism mm-hmm. and then it left Jesus before he died on the cross. So in other words, God wasn't, Jesus wasn't God until the Christ spirit came on him. Right. Then the Christ spirit left him, yeah. and so Jesus didn't wasn't God anymore. Right. So it wasn't God who died on the cross for you. It was you know, sure. just some man. Yeah. Uh, you know, these, are, these are just some examples. Yeah. Uh, those are very simple ones. You could dig into Gnosticism, and you'll start to see uh, you know, um, uh, the danger of what it taught to begin with, but then how it started to mingle. Uh, with Christian thought, and, and I do think that that's important to uh, uh, grab onto, because I don't think anything's changed. Mm. That which has been shall be. Right. Okay. And I would tell you that we have a lot of mystical Gnostic writers even today. Um, and the reason why I say that is because you read a lot of these yes. quote unquote Christian books that people are writing yes. that people are just absolutely going goo goo gaga over. over. Heels, right. Okay. But the problem is. Uh, <laughs> they're just taking Christian thought and mingling it with something. Yeah. Now, th- what that is, you know, we could we could be all over the place with that. Mm. But 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 the point is, is just because we call something Christian doesn't mean it is. Uh, you know, uh, it's it, it it's really kind of sad. Yeah. Um, and it sells a ton. Oh, it works. I mean, the spiritual so. movement is very very big and alive today. And that's where all that stuff. Well, kinda, it's all about experience. It, yeah, and which is mysticism. You go into a bookstore, and the the spiritual section is 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 vast. It, you know, and it unfortunately includes, if you will, uh, these Christian well, type writings. That's and, how we see God today. Yeah, it's a spiritual thing. Yeah, and, God is an experience. Yeah, and unfortunately, the God of the Bible is not an experience. <laughs> you know, you you aren't going to experience God. I think that's a book titled like that. That's just not going to happen. It's not Jesus calling. I'm sorry. That's all mysticism stuff. Mm-hmm. It's all uh, all sounds good, but the problem is when you compare what's actually being said, if you can even understand what they're really saying, mm-hmm. and then compare it to the actual word of God, but you see, you have to have an authority for that to even matter. Yeah. See, if you don't have an authority, then what happens? Well, you now, become the authority. Well, yeah. Well, now either you come with the authority, or, or that else. Christian writer that you just sure. fell in love with becomes the authority. Right. And now, what they say is the word of God to you. Mm. Well, yeah. Wait a minute, man. Be careful of that. If this is why I think being an AV AV sixteen eleven uh, believer is so important. We we are the only ones. We said this last time. We are the only ones that can say we actually believe we have the authority. Nobody else can make that statement. Mm-hmm. Only we can make that statement. Mm. So you can call us a, a KJV call all you want, but the fact of the matter is we just happen to believe and take God for what he says. Amen. And if anything is being said that goes against what he says in his authoritative word, then we don't mm. believe that. Yeah. And we contend for the faith, as Jude tells us, and we say, wait a minute, that ain't right. And either 
you can sit there and go, well, these guys are a bunch of idiots. They don't know what they're talking about. They're 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 just being blasphemous to God. And you know, God God is God is everywhere. He's a, he 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 can do anything whenever he wants. That's true. But one thing God will not do is ever go against His word. Mm-hmm. Be careful. Yeah. Be careful. He'll never go against His word. Yeah. He's he's risen in abundant of His very name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And please don't think that you you. We anyone can't fall susceptible to uh, what what Frank just said about um, taking uh, doctrines from, of men and and seeming them as doctrines of God. Like you may not read a book and then automatically just you know be completely dissuaded from the doctrines of the Bible, um, even though it's a Christian book. But after time, you know, just like we learn the Word of God line upon line, precept upon precept. Mm-hmm. After time, book upon book, author upon author, like it, be, you begin to build a theological framework that is yeah. built on on men like Max Lucado and um, Mark Batterson and, and and Andy Stanley and all the just different men. Rick Warren. And yeah, you know, that's your theology. They become very influential. Right, don't even as opposed it. to the Word of God. And so when, when you hear some people like us maybe who are trying to point you to the Bible, you're like, wait a second, wait a second. You know, and, and so and and then you get Christian songs on top of that and just all these other Christian things, you know, quote unquote. So I don't know, it's just super dangerous. You, you mean you can go down to the river and get washed by the water <laughs> right. and be saved? Yeah, because it's so catchy, you know? It's like, well, I, that that becomes something that, oh, so I can be something baptized. In the water? Right, right. There's nothing in the water. Yeah. So it's dangerous. It's it subtle. Is. And I would argue, Robert, if if you have, quote unquote, a seasoned Christian, <laughs> although I would argue there aren't very many seasoned Christians around here anymore, but let's just say you did. Yes, what you just said might be true, where it might take a while for them to be... Mm. But not, all, not but, always. Yeah. But I think you have a bunch of people who oh, sure. don't know anything about nothing, mm. and they pick up these books... Mm. And they're just immediately going to disagree with it because they think it's Christian. Yeah. And so I think there are people that oh, definitely. you know uh, that fall into these lines of thinking because they were taught it by somebody else. Yeah, for sure. Listen, you can't—I don't care. I will battle this with anybody who wants to argue this with me. There is no way you can come to the conclusions of Calvinism without being taught it. Mm. Somebody has to teach you that line of thinking. Yeah, I agree. Because there's no way you could read the Bible and read, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever shall believe it, for, for God is calling all men to repent, <laughs> for, for God would have all men come to the knowledge of, right? you can't read what God's word actually says and go, oh, well, you know, God just picks and chooses who, who's going to get to go to heaven. and go, go. Well, you have to be taught that system. Yeah. That's why it's dangerous to be paying attention to Christian authors mm-hmm. because they're going to teach you their system. And I'm telling you what, I've had conversations and you guys have too where where people are just so fixated on those things that where when you come in and try to give some sort of Bible truth about something and actually go from Scripture, this is what the Bible actually says about this particular thing or that particular thing, and it goes against, quote-unquote, what these Christian authors that they just are so in love with have said. They just stand against you like, I can't believe it, you would call that person out and say this. Well, no. Relax, take a step back, breathe. I'm not calling out these people. I'm calling out what they're saying or what's being taught. It's the doctrine that goes behind it. But God forbid you do that because now you're just like the enemy of enemies because you've said something bad about the things that their authors that they love have said. You can't do that. I got a great example. I got a great example of this. This just happened to me this past weekend. I think I mentioned it in church on Sunday. So Friday night, me and my wife were out for dinner. 
uh, I wanted to go to the bookstore to grab a, uh, uh, a Bible for when we started our prophecy study. I just wanted to have a Bible that I could use alone for that one. And so I'm sitting there, and uh, me and my wife are looking, and I hear the, the, there's a couple girls uh, across the way over here, and they're looking for a Bible. And uh, she's like, well, I want to try something different this time than this NIV I have, I've had. I want to try something different. What do you think I should try? And so she's asking her sister, I believe it was. And I said, hey, <laughs> you know, here I am just sitting there. I'm like, well, hey, you just want to throw it out to you, man? Uh, get a KJV. Can I suggest a KJV to you? And so it, it, got, it got us talking a little bit. My wife started talking with her a little bit. Of course, you know, they're talking about fashion and all this stuff, <laughs> whatever. Uh, but, but, you know, um, it, it, what, what ended up happening was the, the, the uh, other, uh, the sister that was standing there had a book in her hand. And uh, I just happened to catch it. And I saw what was in her hand. And I said, hey, and she was asking questions about the Bible and the different translations and stuff, which was cool. I'm glad she was asking. For sure. Right? Well, but then the, the, the sister said um, something about, well, yeah, but this book here, I just love this book here. And she doesn't use KJV. And so I said, well, uh, I said, what, that, that's, that's the Jesus calling. Yeah. And she said, oh, yeah, I love this book. This is my favorite book. I learned the most about God through this book. Mm. Is that what she said? Oh, yeah. Mm. And I said, and I looked at her and I said, you know, just be careful. Um, you know, that uh, she's not really right in a lot of her scriptures and the way she, uh, it's very, that book is very mystical. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of problems in that book. Um, you know, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. But it's just the truth. Talk about Gnosticism. Yep. There you and, go. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And she says, and she looks at me and she goes, oh, no, I love her. What was her name? Sarah Young? Is that her name? Hmm? Sarah Young. I love her. I would never not read her. And that's and I just looked at her and I said, you know, I wish you had that same fervor for your Bible. You, said, you told her that? Oh, yeah. Good. And she goes, oh, I do. No, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. Don't don't sit there and tell me you do because I know what that book I, I says. I think your Bible is the book by Sarah Young that you're holding in your hand. That's your Bible. I know what your book in your hand right now by Sarah Young says, and I know what this Bible in my hand right now says, and I know there's a lot of discrepancies, major ones. Mm. So no, you cannot say that, but people will. It's simple to say. It's easy to say. Of course mm -hmm. I love my, my Bible. No, you don't. You love Sarah Young and what she has to say way more than you love this book. And if you're going to hold a human author above God, be careful. Mm. And this is what's happened in manuscript. It, 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 we're, we, nothing's changed. Gnosticism's all over the place. Yeah. It was all over those original manuscripts, those original Vaticanus <laughs> and Sinaiticus manuscripts. Those manuscripts. It was all over it. There's just no hiding it. There's no doubt about it. it and it's, it's interesting to me, the more I think about it, I'm not trying to interrupt you, but you know, you said a, a, a couple minutes ago that that King James only people, you know, that we get such a bad rap, but we're the only ones that can actually say that we uh, have the Word of God and can stand firm on that. And the very reason for that statement is 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 a key thing. The reason we can say that and we hold to the King James Bible is because of the doctrine of preservation. Yeah. Because as we're talking about these manuscripts and the different manuscripts that are used to translate uh, the Bibles from. When you're talking about the Alexandrian and the uh, you know the, the Antiochian text and whatnot, that's the reason why we can hold to it so firmly is because of the doctrine of preservation that God outlined in His Word. You can see it traced through those line of manuscripts and 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 what came from that. And so it's very true that us King Jamesers, if you will, 
can actually say that, and that's the reason why we can say it, because of the very biblical doctrine of, of, of preservation. Mm. And what I love about it, right? Robert, you may mention this already. What I love about it is, you, let's just bring this back, and I think we mentioned it in our last podcast. Let's just bring this back to its basic form, as, as basic as we can get it. One came out of Antioch. The other came out of Alexandria. Comes down to those two lines. Let's just stop right there. Yeah. If you just give that enough verification, enough stop and think about it to verify the verification, which one do you think God's going to preserve his word through? Yeah, and, and something Chris said a few minutes ago um, reminded me of this. You know, there is only one way to heaven. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. and He is the living Word of God. And when you go through the Word of God, the written Word of God, the Bible, and you you look at what He says about Christ and what He says about His Word, uh, many, many, many of them are synonymous with each other. And and John one one and one fourteen. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was God. It doesn't make sense for Him to have one way, one truth, and one life in Christ. For there to be one way to salvation, but there to be multitudes and multitudes and multitudes of, of Bibles, it's just not characteristic it of God. The whole thing. Correct. Yeah. That, that takeout words like b- the blood, um, righteousness, doctrines like the incarnation of Christ. You know, uh, incredibly, incredibly vital things. It, it's just not. It's just not our Lord. That's a, that's a great connection. There's one way, so there's one book. <laughs> there is. There really is. Um, okay, so um, all right. So I hope we hope that um, this has not been too uh, heavy uh, for you as far as you know these terms and these things. Um, um, we're hoping, like I mentioned a moment ago, you know, line upon line, precept upon precept. Um, maybe maybe something starting to connect. Uh, um, hopefully, you'll you'll give this these episodes and, and the study of this issue. The longevity that it definitely deserves, the endurance uh, to, to uh, maintain, to hold hold fast, and to be steadfast in, in your pursuit of the truth when it comes to the Word of God. Uh, that that is our hope here. That is our desire for ourselves and for you. Um, uh, we are going to continue uh, this conversation uh, next week. Uh, we we hope that I, I don't think it'll be too 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 much um, you know bogging us down. Um, I, I think we kind of have cleared some of the way there to maybe um, kind of come up for some air a little bit and and try to bring some of these things to uh, even more practical levels and whatnot. So as Frank mentioned earlier in this episode, um, you know, we're working to a head here. We're working to a point why these things are important, and we hope you're beginning to, to already see that. Uh, but once again, thank you for joining us here at The Revealing, and uh, we look forward to hanging out with you next time. Until then, take care and God bless. Thank you for listening to The Revealing, a podcast ministry of One Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida. Senior Pastor Frank Silvaggio, Associate Pastor Robert Engel. For more information about One Baptist Jacks, please go to our website, onebaptistjacks.world, or email us, info at onebaptistjacks.world.